This episode contains strong language and spoilers for season one of Stage Combat and for episodes one through four of season two. You know, what are we actually doing it for? Do you know what I mean? It's it's kind of, we'll all be forgotten. I mean, I suppose people will listen to me singing Les Mis long after I'm forgotten and the recording will go on and on. But yeah, what are we doing it for? You know, uh, at the good speed, you know. This wasn't a Broadway job. I wasn't famous. I just wanted to do the the job. I just wanted yeah. to do the art, you know? Yeah. That, that's And famous. It's so ephemeral, all that shit. You just want to you just want to be that person and be in yeah. that show, you know? And Billy particularly Billy Elliot, which is definitely about Maverick shucking the system. Do you mm. know? Yeah. How ironic. How <laughs> very ironic. And the father is having a mental health crisis in the show. Hello. <laughs> there, there's so many things in the story of stage combat where life is imitating art and vice versa. Phantom. Gaslit girl being gaslit on and off stage <laughs> by horrible, horrible oh men. Oh my gosh. Our shows are going to haunt us for the rest of our lives. The rest of our fucking lives. <laughs> As we buck the system. As we buck the system. Hey, Stage Combat listeners and you theater aficionados. I'm talking about you hardcore theater fans, and let's face it, most of you are. You're the ones that have every cast recording of every major musical, which means you have the original London cast recording of Les Miserables. And that also means you've been listening to my next guest, some of you for almost 40 years, because she originated the role of Cosette in Les Miserables. How cool is that? So you know her exquisite voice, and many, many of you know her name. She is, of course, the legendary Rebecca Kane. She also happens to have been one of the most iconic Christine Dyes in Phantom of the Opera. Well, Rebecca joined me from London over a couple of conversations that we're presenting in this bonus episode. And more importantly, Rebecca spoke to me about her own harrowing stage combat experience in the theater. It's something that happened to her almost 30 years ago. This is her first time to speak about it in a podcast interview. So I am so honored she chose stage combat as the venue in which to share her story. Let's jump right in, because we have a lot to cover. Welcome to this special interview with legendary actor Rebecca Kane. Welcome to Stage Combat, <laughs> Rebecca. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here on this unbelievably important and impressive podcast. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I want to tell the listeners how you and I met. I reached out to you on Instagram after reading your social media post and what you had been experiencing 30 years ago. And you immediately wrote back and said, I hope knowing that you're not alone helps. And it was about your experience working in a high profile production in the 90s. Can we talk about that experience? Absolutely. Let's do it. So, Rebecca, I just want to clarify for our listeners the parameters that we're going to be speaking today. First of all, I just want to acknowledge that my understanding is this is the first time you're speaking on a podcast about what happened to you in the theater 30 years ago, correct? Yes. So the discussion we're going to have today is because Rebecca's experience did involve some very high-profile names and a high-profile production. On that said, it's not really a secret. You know, there's been press about this, So, and you've spoken openly about it. But look, 
Uh, we just want to keep things nice and and safe here for everyone. So there is no need for us to, in this interview, to name names of the production. I asked you, Rebecca, to come on because I was aware of your experience and I wanted our listeners to hear how another actor in an unsafe working environment, how that affects them physically and emotionally. Now, that said, I am going to be referencing a non-confidential arbitration report that was part of Rebecca's experience. And much of the content of this interview, it's from that arbitration report. It's corroborated as findings of fact in that arbitration report. So does that sound good to you, Rebecca? That sounds perfect. Great. So let's dive in. So you were in a situation where you were you did not feel safe in a production with a co-worker, with a co-star, in that you were being physically manhandled in a way that was causing injuries to you. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Yes. Can you tell me sort of what kind of injuries you were you were receiving in that production? It was my wrist, my right wrist. I was being pulled around the stage and just generally really manhandled and shaken and the level of aggression that was being poured into me was above and beyond what was professional. I understand you still have the residuals of those injuries today. Uh, Physically, yeah. My right wrist has less motility. It doesn't go back as far as this one does. See mm. on the camera. See that one goes so far. <laughs> Heartbreaking, but I can't use chopsticks. <laughs> I, I lost that that ability. So yeah, uh, and you know, of course, the psychological stuff was yeah. almost worse in a way. The the physical stuff I could get dealt with. The psychological stuff went on for much longer than I realized. It was thirty years later that I realized just how it had gone on to affect me. And when you say the psychological effects, can you tell me what you mean by that? Well, you get so gaslit that you start to think, you know, did I do something? Have I done something wrong when everybody in the building is treating you like you're the problem? When all you're doing is saying, I just want to be safe. And you're being told you're not the star. And I'm saying, this is nothing to do with being the star. I want to be safe. I'm worried I'm going to end up in the orchestra pit or I'm going to be dashed against the proscenium arch. That's what I care about. And I was terrified that I, you know, uh, yeah, it was awful. (laughs) You know, Rebecca, I'm struck how our experiences are decades apart and very different, yet very similar in a lot of ways. And as our listeners in stage combat are listening to my story, they're hearing and they're aware that there is this gaslighting. There's this piling on of people saying that, you know, I am the problem. <laughs> and I just wanted to feel safe in, in my workplace as well. You know, Dr. Lisa Hurwitz, she says in one of our talkbacks that feeling safe is just a base need. You know, hmm. it doesn't, it shouldn't even be controversial that you want it to feel safe be. in your workplace. It shouldn't be, but I was told that it was this was part of this job, that being basically battered was part of this role. The fact is I had done this role in two different countries with many other men playing that role, and no one had ever hurt me before. That's just yeah. bonkers to be told that. It is bonkers, and 
How do they tell I, you that with a straight face? That's what I'm wondering. I don't know. You know, and I remember there was this time in the dressing room when they said, oh, you've got, we're going to put you on insurance. And I said, you can't put me on insurance. I'm injured because you didn't fix the problem. I said, I'm injured because you didn't sort it. It's still really hard to talk about all these years later. And it's, yeah, I, I, I suddenly get very articulate about it because it was 30 years ago and things were different then. We were treated in, in a different way. And there also was this show must go on thing that you just crawled out there and you did it. I mean, I'm so fascinated by the fact that you had your panic attack on stage, right? I didn't have my panic attack till the day after I heard I won my arbitration, which was months later. You know, that's interesting, Rebecca, because, you know, my panic attack, it was a shorter period. It was enough for me just to try to hold it, what was going on at the good speed over, you know, a matter of a couple of weeks. I can't imagine what it was like for you because you were you were holding it together through a much longer period of time in that production. Yeah. I think it was about, what, a year or? I think it could have been over a year. I mean, mm. it just got more and more and more unpleasant. Looking back, I think I'm astounded by the fact I wasn't having panic attacks on stage. But also I knew they wanted me to quit. They wanted me out. So I was bloody determined, you know, not to leave and not to be pushed out. I didn't have that long on my contract and I wanted to stay. But yeah, it was... It was a shocker to me that this just came pouring out. Yeah, so it hit your body all at once. Yeah, yeah. It was about a year and I kept, you know, saying this is not acceptable and I'm being hurt. And, you know, they rang New York and New York said, stop being so sensitive. And and I was told, you know, you're not the star and you're replaceable. So let's (laughs) talk about that. It seems like Hmm. there was a dynamic that the other person involved in this was a bigger star a bigger name than you were. Mm. And it sounds like that was an argument being put to you as to why you should put up with the abuse. Is yeah. that more or less how it was referring well, to you? They said, I was, they, they said I was trying to establish myself as his equal. And at this point, I was done with musical theater. And I just, I had taken some time out during this run and made my debut with the National Opera Company and had this huge success which I think was part of the problem when I then went back into the show. I think it caused a lot of resentment from many of the people involved. And also, you know, I was raised, despite being actually North Americans, I'm sure you can tell from my accent, (laughs) I was raised in British theatre, which is much more democratic, right? I've worked Mm. a lot in the States and I've worked a lot over here. And so... It wasn't about establishing myself as a star. I literally wanted to get out in one piece, leave musical theatre behind and get on with my opera career. That was just an excuse on their side instead of dealing with this person who they had paid huge amounts of money to. Um, Rebecca, you and I have talked, we've had several conversations and to get to know each other and the subject of how women were treated in the 90s in particular you know, how much of this was misogyny and the way? Oh, it was weapons grade, weapons grade. And I think the problem for me always, particularly on in the Ingenue days, is that there was this dichotomy between 
who I am as a person, which is, you know, not unintelligent and pretty articulate and how I looked, you know, I was standing there in a bonnet dressed up as the ingenue and I was fighting my corner. And that was intensely irritating and made people very, very angry. And if you look, and I'm not placing myself in these women's league, but if you think about Anita Hill, Monica Lewinsky, Hillary Clinton, Marcia Clark and the O.J. Simpson trial. Any woman with intelligence who put themselves out there was cut down, was cut down. So I think I'd like to think things have changed, but I think probably there's still, you know, big underlying misogyny is still in the business. So the production you were in and what happened, it was very complicated in a series of events, but it it eventually resulted in your your employer terminating you and trying to use a, uh, uh, basically that they had cause to terminate you. Yeah, and- they said done various things that were wrong and that they had terminated me, but what they'd actually done is just stop me from going into work. Let's yeah. talk about that. So yeah. it resulted in a very high profile, let's just say this, arbitration with uh, Canadian Actors' Equity Association in 1992. Mm. And I was just amazed at this. There's a non-confidential arbitration report. It's, Mm. I believe, 152 pages. I lost count of how many witnesses there were. There were 12 days of hearings. I cannot imagine the psychological effect on you of having to go through such a thing just to have your contract honored, just to be paid. It was possibly the most stressful experience my husband and I have ever been through to put your hand on a Bible. And then it's a trial situation. And then I, I think I was cross-examined for about three days. And it was awful. And then then I was making my debut at uh, my American operatic debut, Glimmer Glass Opera, which is really high profile. I, I then finished my testimony and then I went down to start this. And then my husband would go up and you know sit with the equity lawyers and listen to, thank God I didn't have to listen to all that crap that they said about me. But I did notice that they managed to place the arbitration dates on dates that were like my opening night and my dress rehearsal. I mean, it was was real Weinstein tactics, to be honest. And all I was doing was trying to get the rest of my contract paid. That's all I was doing. So I just want to reference this for the listeners of Stage Combat. We've dropped in this episode after episode four, rebuttal is irrelevant after I've been terminated but there are six weeks left on my contract. So the open question is, is Goodspeed going to pay that? And if not, would that be headed to an arbitration proceeding with equity? So that's the same situation that is in Rebecca's story. And we're essentially talking about issues of when an employer chooses to terminate an actor wrongfully, will they try to find reasons, cite reasons for cause to justify the termination? So that's the universe that we're in talking about Rebecca's story and and the finding in this arbitration opinion by the arbitrator, uh, the arbitrator said, I find no evidence to support your employer's argument that it had cause to terminate Ms. Kane's contract. And the arbitrator also said, I find that management was either unable or unwilling to deal effectively with your co-star's roughness. And that roughness was actually referred to in the report as abusive in nature. And it's interesting. Yes. 
Yeah. yeah. And I want I want to go through some of the arguments that the employer was making to justify your termination, which the arbitrator rejected. And it's interesting because, again, on a very smaller scale, because what you went through, Rebecca, uh, is far, far more worse and cruel than what I even went through. But the first was, uh, and we see this, it seems to be, you know, these are fallback positions I think employers try to do to get out of doing what they're supposed to do in the contract. The first was that you weren't following notes. So, you know, Stage Combat, we heard that the day before I was fired, there was a note that I wasn't, my white co-star was not getting enough eye contact as I was playing a father disassociating from everyone in grief. That was something that your employer was was saying was a problem for you. They were my co-stars notes, of course. I mean, I do remember one thing, which is hilarious, because I got, I injured my knee early on and I went and I um, can tell you this is a fellow actor. I went and watched my understudy do it and she did something I liked. So I nicked it, right? Oh, oh, I like that bit, right? I'll stick that in. We all do that stuff, right? And they actually used that moment. They said, oh, you didn't turn your head away and, and have it pushed back. And I and I literally said, I stole that from my, my it understudy. Was, it, it was, was so- never blocked. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I read all 152 pages of this report. It, it's harrowing and just the minutia that they were picking up. But there were a lot of things, and the arbitrator said, the failure to follow notes, and just I'm just reading from the report. Yeah. It was due to Miss Kane's apprehension about her co-star's roughness yeah. rather than any deliberate act on the part of Miss Kane to thwart the authority of the directors or the stage managers. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The other thing I noticed was that there was a claim that you were too injured to perform, even though you had a doctor's note that said you could, which is ironic because you were injured due to what happened in your workplace. Yes. So on a smaller scale in stage combat, our listeners heard there was a a memo right before I'm fired where they're talking about Sean's dizziness that he's complaining Mm -hmm. about in the stage combat sequences, which were due to the panic disorder I developed in the workplace and, and that you were trying to go to work. You had doctor's notes saying that she can go to work, but she needs to wear, I believe, an arm brace, right? It wasn't even a brace. It was just like a, like a really light strapping that we made up. But then my co-star was going to have to move his grip from my wrist to my elbow. You were just asking for a reasonable accommodation just to yeah. move a few inches where you were being grabbed because you were injured. And that was rejected. Or I saw that, well, there was an argument that the costume wouldn't look right if they saw the... the yeah, the- and it didn't hold water because interest, interestingly, right at the beginning of the run, I fell and trashed my knee. And I had to come out and have surgery, had my knee scoped, and uh, I went back on. And for at least six weeks, I did the opening scene in which you could see my knee with a knee pad on, and they were just desperate to have me back. And it looked horrendous, to be honest. Yeah. It looked much more horrendous than the thing that was on my wrist. Well, it was good to see that the arbitrator, and I'm quoting from him, it is common for producers to make accommodations for injuries sustained by performers, especially principal performers. Yeah, of course. Which is what you were asking for. Yeah. One of the other allegations that really bothered me was the allegation that you were oversensitive. And we see this happening in employment situations in the theater. Um, In the story of stage combat, uh, this is a little tidbit we did not include in the podcast because you can only tell so much story, but 
there was actually a note from the fight captain Aaron that I didn't know about at the time, but a note that after I had the air knocked out of me in fight call by Chad, he notes to Rachel Tischer that I was sensitive. So for you, Rebecca, after everything you went through, hearing that criticism of being oversensitive, that must have been really, really hard to hear. Yeah, it was. You know, one of the things I remember reading when you were posting some of the documents about what happened to you, uh, documents that were in the arbitration report, and one of them was a status report that was, I believe, sent to the producers. And at the end, at the bottom of the report, there was a handwritten note by someone, and it said, Becky appears sad and subdued. And I want to tell you, when I read that, I believe it was on Facebook, my heart broke for you because I knew exactly what you were talking about, that feeling of feeling despondent and that no one cares about you in the workplace. Can you tell me what a little bit about where you were at that point that you know prompted someone to write that you appeared sad and subdued, almost as if it was you know a, a negative thing being written about you? You know, why aren't you? Oh, no, I think it was quite the opposite as far as they're concerned, because I think the previous sentence was the actor who was pushing me about was happy, happy. because I had taken his notes. I had mm. done what he was telling me to do. Mm. Um, and uh, so he was happy with the show. She went to him first. He's happy. It's great. Yep. Very pleased with what she did. Becky seemed sad and subdued. And it was about not pulling back when I was being pulled around the stage because I was frightened because it was being done with such force and and malevolence on stage. And I was just supposed to go with it. Yes. So it was PS. You know, that feeling that we're, we're still in the midst of this sort of employment crisis, mm. we're still having to go within ourselves and put this performance on the stage. And then when you have those little moments, when you're just backstage alone to feel sad and subdued to feel like you're not being supported in your workplace. That's what you were feeling. Yeah. 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 Very, very. It's so sad because there was a whole whole generation of Canadian kids that just thought I was the most glamorous thing ever doing this dream job. And yet even the people in the show, when I started putting up the arbitration reports, they said, we had no idea what was going on in your dressing room. None. Well, this is what's something that keeps coming up in a lot of interviews is we had someone said, I, I would like to, now that there's starting to be more of awareness, I would like to go to a show and know that I don't need to worry about the actors on stage. That never entered anyone's mind in the 90s, right? Because it was just so glamorous. And even more yeah. recently, I think we're only starting to, the more conversations we're having like this, but, yeah. and I keep saying, if audiences knew what was actually going on, would that change their buying habits? Would you not purchase a ticket to this tour, to this theater, if you knew how the employees were being treated? Well, I know I do now. There are certain mm. producers I won't, I won't go and see their stuff. And there are certain actors that I won't see because I know of people who have been, you know, had a difficult time or had something awful happen with them. Yeah. So I already, I put my money where my mouth is.
there was something that happened with you when you revisited, I guess it was 30 years later, what you had gone through in this production with the arbitration. What was it that led you to revisit your experience? It was a coming together of the stars, really. I was working with the Belfast Ensemble, which is a a group in Northern Ireland that I do a lot of work with, uh, mainly political pieces of theatre, incredible pieces of theatre. And we were trying to put together a piece on the Weinstein survivors. And so they had bought all the trial and we were reading. The trial transcripts, right? The trial transcripts, exactly. I mean, just 12 huge binders of them. And we were reading our way through these. And they're horrible. These lawyers are trying to get them to say the wrong thing. And they are having, at one point, Jessica Mann, who is the heroine, whose testimony took him down in the end. She has a panic attack and has to come off the stand. And we did days of this. And we had an amazing rape counselor come in and talk about what rape really looks like. And it was intense. And I noticed I had to keep getting on the floor and kind of stretching out my body because I hold my emotions in my body. Anyway, it was the last day and I got home to where I was staying and somebody contacted me on Twitter, a friend contacted me on Twitter and she said, how do you feel about this man returning to Broadway when this man has been forced to withdraw from producing this mega musical because of bullying allegations. How do you feel about that? Why should one come back and one not? And I had got home by then, I got back to London and this wave came over me and I pulled out the arbitration report. And I, I had not looked at this arbitration since I had read it through Once, when I had got back to England, 30 years later, I opened this arbitration report and I was astounded by what I read. Their argument for why I had to be got rid of, it just took my breath away. How did that affect you when you went back? You were going back 30 years into your past. I had this terrible, terrible stomachache and the national health system maybe a bit damaged and we're trying to keep it here, but they cancer fast tracked me. And I had all these tests, including, you know, which is really extraordinary for seeing, um, you know, when they put the pipe down your throat and into your stomach and they gave me the fentanyl. And by this point I'd had a full body scan and an iodine flush and the whole thing. And by this time they put, you know, down where I sing from into my, where I feel, I thought, you're just going to see 1992 waving back at you. That's what's down there. This is, this is trauma. But I was astounded by the fact that I had pushed all this down. It really <laughs> enrages me when there's this attitude of, uh, why don't you just get over it? I still get that. Move on. What, yeah. you know, you, are you bitter? Are you twisted? Why are you bringing this up? That's been bantered around with me as well. You know, we need to talk about trauma lives in the body. Our listeners will remember in season one, episode six, you know, there was uh, one of my friends who was involved in something on a Broadway show. And he talked about that 
you know, the anxiety from that, it still lives with him you know, 10, 15 years later. So for you to pull this back up in 30 years. You know, because we are performers and we're actors, we are more connected to our bodies than an awful lot of people. Absolutely. Well, we hope so. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, I would hope so. Yeah. And I know because I do huge amounts of Pilates and yogas and stuff like that. You know, I can be holding a position for a long time and suddenly this boom, this memory will just come up because I've released something in a muscle somewhere and it's attached to a memory. Mm. So this was so deeply buried. So Rebecca, after you had revisited 30 years later, the trauma that you experienced, um, what you did and, and what I admire you for doing, you you went to your social media and, and you started sharing your story with other people, telling them about harmful practices in the industry, what you went through. And as a result of that, a lot of people reached out to you and they were sharing their own stories about being bullied in the workplace. What was it like to receive those kind of stories? That was tough because because it was tough in one way, but it was great in that, you know, the day after I would then share them anonymously in my Instagram stories. It was an awful lot of community theater people, not in the biz, in the industry, they're still too frightened to share their stories, you know, and very well aware that right now and having kind of kicked it all off and having made a fuss at this point, because I'm now 43 years into my career, would I have made such a fuss if it happened now and I was 25, my career ahead of me? But I do feel it's very, very important. I mean, you know, shows come and go and you realize that after decades in the business. But if, if you can leave behind a legacy where somebody decided not to bully somebody or to rough somebody up or somebody felt brave enough to walk into their place of business, and I've had so many women come to me and say, I read all your stories and I went in and I talked to my boss or I quit my job and I'm yeah. so much happier. And so that is fantastic. At the time, it was it was kind of a heavy load to carry, you know, particularly feeling feeling so ill as I did at the time. I felt so sick with the stomach ache. Because um, you re-traumatize and then at the same time, yeah. people were looking up to you as a model for sharing your stories and you were empowering them. So that's a lot to carry yeah. at once. Yeah, it was. And yet, the, you know, part of me was thinking, am I putting myself again in some sort of a danger? I didn't care reputationally. Well, because you spoke up, it inspired me to speak up. And, you know, it is something that keeps giving, you know. And, you know, I have people writing to me who have listened to stage combat. I just had a guy write yeah. to me and said, I felt like you spoke up for all the times I've been in similar situations, just like I felt like you were speaking up for me. And so I hope that's something that people can take away from this conversation. And it's great that the people in community theater are speaking up, but everyone needs to speak up. There's power in numbers. And it's all, it's all other branches of work, just being able to, to, to stand up for yourself and say, this is wrong. Rebecca, can I ask you, how are you feeling today? How do you feel 
emotionally looking back now and having this conversation now, you know, looking back 30 years? I, I'm very glad I did it. And I have a sense of pride, you know, hopefully what you're remembered for is kindness and generosity and trying to look after other people because what the hell are we here for otherwise? Yeah. Right. You know, I'm sort of coming to the place, you know, haven't had to deal with this as many years as you have, but I'm sort of coming to the place where, you know, this is part of my story. It's part of who I am. And, you know, we can make life better for other people and sharing it. Well, I just don't want to live in a world where it's so hard to be an actor. You know, we're so disposable and we, it's not just a job. We live to do it. It's in our body. It's in our bones. We have to sing. And so, you know, I hope things will change. I don't know. Do you think they will? Well, it's going to take a heck of a lot more people speaking up than you and me. When I have spoken up, if if I was at my most hireable yeah. in my 20s, no. I said this Can before. I speak up now in my 60s? Because I don't care. It's, you know, most of it's behind me and I can pick and choose what I want to do. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'll take the fall. Yeah. So other people can hopefully not have to go through what I have to go through. I do believe that the actors at our generation behind us, they're more willing to draw boundaries. They're more willing to go to social media and call out harmful practices. Whereas you and I was always the show must go on mentality, you know? So I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by the leadership from them. Well, I just want to thank you for being an inspiration to me. I know you're an inspiration to so many actors and I'm grateful that you've been an advocate of, of stage combat and what we've been trying to do in the podcast. I know a lot of people have come to the podcast because they, they saw your tweet or something you said about it on social media. So we're honored to have you be a part of the stage combat community. Well, honestly, Sean, I mean, I just, I feel shamed by what you've done because all I did was get a stomachache and, and rage away on Twitter and post bits of my arbitration. But you went and, I mean, the podcast is brilliant. It's so professional and so well done. And, and you took your experience and really made something with it. I mean, I'm an advocate and I've listened to people's stories and I've supported people, but you've taken it another step further. And yeah, I'm just, I'm very, it doesn't, I hope it doesn't sound patronizing. I'm terribly proud of you. Does doing not, what you did. It does not. That's an honor to hear. It does not sound patronizing at all. And I, I fully accept that and receive it. Excellent. Thank you, Rebecca Kane, for being with us. Pleasure and lots of love. That was a great interview, Rebecca. That was great. <laughs> what do we talk about now? Did you, the apropos of, of kind of sort of of this, but maybe of nothing, big, big baseball fans, because the Jays won the series, like the two years we were living there doing Phantom. There's a fantastic documentary on Netflix. I always think baseball is really a metaphor for life, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our favorite films is, oh, the Kevin Costner one. Uh, Full of Dreams? 
No, with Susan Sarandon. Um, oh, um, the um, oh my God, what is it? It's super sexy, early nineties. Yes, it's really funny. It's brilliant. What's it called? We love that. Bull film. Durham. Bull Durham. Bull Durham. I got we it. Love that film. I got it. We love that film. Anyway, I just happened to see there's a documentary called The Battered Bastards of Baseball on Netflix. And it's about Kurt Russell's dad, Bing Russell, who was the, who paid the mayor on Bonanza for 13 seasons. And he got all these sort of kids, people who hadn't quite made it into or been chucked out of farm teams and things like that. And he put this team together and what they want went on to do, kind of breaking all the rules and being mavericks and giving you know, these extraordinary individual personalities, a chance. And, and he, you know, he was this old actor and he went on to, you know, he went back to acting after, I won't tell you how it ends, but I highly recommend it. If you want to, if you want to see people kind of bucking the system and mm. keeping their individuality and just, and the acting thing, Kurt Russell talking about his dad, it just sounds extraordinary, but Give it a I'll watch. Check it out. That'll think, cleanse your brain of all this stuff and make you feel good things. Well, you know what? The the commonality I feel with you, Rebecca, other than I adore you, is that in our own ways, we're bucking the system. Yeah. 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 So here's to bucking the system. Stage Combat is a production of Haywood Productions, LLC. And I did check out that documentary. It's pretty good. <laughs>